So I stay, as I stated a few minutes ago, my sermon title for today is God's Ways Are Not Our Ways. And, you know, I've preached here enough now. I think you guys are starting to kind of understand that I like to be transparent. I don't mind. Um, I don't like to be embarrassed, but I don't mind embarrassing myself. But I put that under the name of transparency. But anyway, I kind of struggled with this title um, because it's, it's what you call one of these Christianese statements. And who here understands or knows what Christianese is? Nobody? Nobody's heard the term? All right, so Christianese is kind of these phrases that people in the church use um, that outsiders may not understand entirely. Um, but uh, Christianese is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Christianese. Uh, but the issue that I kind of take with it sometimes is we, we kind of have a tendency to overuse these statements. Now, you know, another example of this is not Christianese, but another example is when you pass somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Like, that's just what we do, right? We're being polite, but we don't actually care to know how people are doing usually, right? We just say it. So Christianese statements are kind of along those same lines. It's just things that we normally say. And so God's ways are not our ways is kind of one of those statements. And uh, unfortunately, I think we've lost kind of the the gravity or the value of what that statement actually means. Um, you know, because... Honestly, have we, have we actually taken a pause to think about what that statement actually means, that God's ways are not our ways? Um, you know, today we're going to dig into that a little bit. I've got a story that we're going to follow. Uh, we're, you know, truthfully, we can kind of pick out every major biblical character and we can see how God worked in their story, right? Um, that at first didn't make sense. It definitely didn't make sense to the person uh, the character in the story, but it makes sense to us because we have the whole story, right? We know the outcome or the ending, but, you know, for a couple examples, you know, Noah didn't understand, you know, speaking of a great song, by the way, you know, good segue, Noah didn't understand why God asked him to build the ark, right? Um, but God asked him to do it. You know, Abraham didn't understand why God asked him to sacrifice his son, the son that he waited so long to have, Right? Um, God asked Moses to free his people out of the bondage of the Egyptians, but then led them straight to the Red Sea, right? And they just stop in front of this big body of water and think, God, what are you doing, right? He didn't understand that. Um, and then we can move over to the New Testament, and we can obviously, the, the big one in the New Testament is God sending Jesus um, to die for us. And, and we're going to circle back to that one in a little bit. Um, but then we look at Jesus choosing his 12 disciples and the process that went through that. And Jesus knowing that one of his disciples would betray him and turn him over you know, for that death. Right. Uh, and then we also see where Jesus has this encounter with Paul. Right. At the time was named Saul. And he was like this notorious uh, Christian persecutor um, who sought to kill those who were followers of Jesus, right? But then God spoke to him and then converted him to be a disciple of his, right? So these things simply don't make sense to us, right? But to God, God had all of those worked out. Um, and so uh, truthfully, again, we can I can dedicate an entire sermon series to these characters uh, to talk about how God's ways um, aren't ours. But today, we're actually going to look at the story of David, all right, King David, uh, and there's three particular events in his life where God showed us that his ways were a little bit different uh, than our, our ways. And so I think most of us are familiar with the story of David. So I'm going to kind of move through or, you know, these stories. I'm just going to kind of dip into like the bullet points here, um, at least in my mind. Uh, that's what they are. Uh, 
and uh, to, to get to the, the final point. All right, so our first part begins, uh, it's going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter, I believe it's chapter 16 if you want to open up to there, but it'll be on the screen here. Uh, but our first part begins with God's calling of David to be king. Um, so just a little bit of background context, Saul is the current king, but God gave very specific instructions for Saul to go and destroy a certain people group, okay? And um, God's instructions were for Saul to uh, completely and uh, annihilate everything and not to take any type of spoils of war. But Saul disobeyed God. And so part of Saul's punishment um, was that God rejected Saul's kingship. And so God tells Samuel, I want you now to go down and pick a new king. And I want you to go to this man, Jesse, all right, because he has a son, and I want you to pick one of his sons, or I've, I've selected one of his sons to be king. Okay, so this is where we're going to pick up in Scripture. So um, Samuel 16, starting in verse 1, then we're going to skip to 6 through 13. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And just, just so you know, there's a lot of names here. I'm going to murder and butcher all of them, but... Um, we'll get there. Uh, so verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, uh, and this is our focal verse for this section, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. And then one by one, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? He said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Ruddy just means that he had kind of a rosy, reddish appearance. Um, I had to look that one up. So um, anyway, so he was red and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. And so now, again, we see in this scripture God speaking to Samuel, and as Jesse is parading his sons around, um, you know, God makes it very clear that none of these sons will do, right? It didn't matter how tall or rugged or strong they were, no matter how noble they may have appeared, God wasn't interested in those things. Um, God was more interested in the condition of their heart. And none of Jesse's sons uh, were a match, right? And so could you imagine, again, God's ways aren't our ways. Could you imagine being in Samuel's position? God says, go to this man and go because I've selected one of his sons. So Samuel gets there, and as he's sitting there watching all these sons kind of, you know, parade in and through, and God's like, no, not that one, not that one. So Samuel's got to be like, well, God, you called me here. I know I'm supposed to be here. This is Jesse, the Bethlehemite. You know, he's got these sons. Um, and so Samuel says, hey, this, this can't be all of your sons because God's not really saying that any of these will do. And so David, we don't exactly know the age of David, but David was so young that his dad didn't even think that he would be considered to be king, right? And so that kind of, just keep that in mind. Um, so, you know, somewhere probably around the 10-year-old mark uh, is where David was uh, as he was out tending the sheep. And so, you know, David enters into the house and immediately God says, 
that's my man right there. Uh, that's who I want. And so God uh, tells Samuel uh, to anoint him. And so he does. And so then David is selected as the next king. And so you know, we think about that again. Uh, you know, certain images come to mind when we think about kings, whether it be you know, from stories that we read, you know, uh, movies that we watch. You know, we have this idea. But you know, here enters this, this young little boy um, you know, who's, not even, who's not even hit puberty, right? And God says, this is going to be our next king. Um, and so uh, it just kind of defies you know, the logic of man. Now, the next part uh, of David's story that we're going to enter into, uh, you know, we, we got to do it, and that's the story of David and Goliath, right? Um, because it just it doesn't make sense, right? Again, this is David is still a young boy, okay? And we can see that in Scripture. We'll see that in a little bit. Um, but, you know, Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were the notorious enemy of the Israelites. And so um, Goliath was their champion, and he was for a few good reasons. Number one, we know that Goliath was a, uh, was a giant, right? The uh, Bible says he was over nine foot tall. It says his armor and weapons combined weighed well over 100 pounds. Um, and so uh, he, he had been training for war to be a warrior since he was uh, a little kid. So much like many of the, um, uh, I guess the, uh, the, as we know, like the Romans, the Spartans, you know, many of those cultures that focused on war, uh, they kind of did the same thing. The, the young boys would go off and train to be these warriors. And so that was Goliath. And so, you know, he was, if not the greatest warrior uh, of the day, he was among one of the greatest warriors uh, of the time. And so here's Goliath uh, and the, the Philistines going to war with the Israelites, and so Goliath puts out this challenge, and he says, if anybody will come out and fight me, you know, then that will be you know, the, the deciding factor of the war. All right? And so the Israelites were kind of at this impasse right? because nobody was willing to step up to fight uh, this champion. Okay? But then uh, you know, this, this guy, Jesse, who had all these sons, right? several of the sons were at uh, war. Uh, they were on the battlefield. And so Jesse sends his son David to send a care package. He says, hey, I want, you guys, I want you to send this care package to your brothers and those out in the war. So David runs out there. He gets out on the front lines, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Right? He hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, and he says, what's, what's going on with this? And so everybody says, well, this is what's happening. And so David says, hey, look, I'll go out there. Right? He's not, he's not going to taunt right, God's people group and get away with it. Right? So David has this courage uh, to want to go out and fight him. And so David steps before King Saul, okay, and he tells Saul, hey, yeah, you're, I'm right, you're right, you heard right, I want to go fight Goliath, right, because he's not going to get away with insulting my God and God's people group, okay? Um, so again, mind you, David is in between the ages of 10 and 15, okay? So we can, if you want to look at our own youth group, we're looking at somewhere between Zeke and Tyler here, okay, is going out here to the battlefield to fight a war, right, to the death, right, um, uh, against this champion. Okay, so, you know, Saul kind of argues with David and says, David, now this, you're, you're just a little boy. Like, I, I can't send you out there. And David says, no, look, dude, I'm a shepherd, and God's protected me. I've killed a lion, and I've killed a bear trying to protect my sheep. I think I'll be okay against this Goliath. Okay, and so Saul says, oh, well, fine. And so he tries to fit his armor on David. Uh, the Bible says that the armor doesn't fit because, well, it, it most likely didn't fit because David's a young boy. But even if it did fit, David wasn't a warrior, right? David was just a shepherd boy. He wasn't trained 
uh, to move around and fight in this armor. So David left that alone. And so all David took with him to this battle was his shepherd's stick and a sling. And, he, and we know that he pulled out these rocks from the creek. Okay. And so uh, David steps on the battlefield and, and with confidence, okay, with confidence, he approaches Goliath. Okay. Now, Imagine with, you know, before we imagine being Samuel, now imagine with me being Goliath, okay? And you're out there, you're, you're like nine foot something tall, you know, big, broad shoulder, you got all this armor, you've been training for this moment your whole life, and then in steps this little boy that says, you know, I, I, I got you, I'm, I'm going to be, uh, there, there's a great movie line from the movie Tombstone where uh, uh, Doc Holliday goes to uh, Ringo and says, I'm your huckleberry, right? And so that's kind of what David steps in, he says, hey man, I'm, I'm your guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And so uh, Goliath begins to kind of look at David and, and, and kind of laugh, like, you know, <laughs> who are you? Like, I can't take you serious, like you're just a little boy. Um, but then look at what David says, okay? Uh, this is scripture. Now, we're, we're 1 Samuel 17, 43 through 51, all right? It says, and the Philistines said to David, all right, so this is Goliath saying to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And then the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then when David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and will strike you down and cut, you, and cut off your head. And I will give you, excuse me, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and, fell on his, and he fell on his face to the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his own sword, drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. All right, so last week the youth, I, I took a, a group of us to, uh, to a little beach retreat. And since we were gone on a Sunday... Uh, we actually attended a church down uh, in Myrtle Beach. It was Ocean View Baptist Church. It's a great little church. If you guys were ever down there over the weekend, it's a great worship experience. I would highly recommend you check them out right there in Myrtle Beach. So not, not hard to find. But the pastor there was, as he was going through his sermon, he kind of made a point. And so I'm going to kind of borrow that. I don't want to say steal, but I'm going to kind of borrow this. You know, he made this point of Vertical choices versus horizontal choices, okay? So vertical choices are the choices that we make that glorify God, okay? Horizontal choices would be choices that we make that would glorify man, okay? So vertical choices is good, horizontal choices are bad, right? And so in this moment, David, you know, he strings together this string of vertical choices that glorify God. And we see that in several of the scriptures where he says, you know, you, you defied the Lord of Israel, and I can't tolerate it. And so with confidence, he approached uh, Goliath and was able to stand his ground and ultimately prevail over Goliath. Again, God's ways are not our ways. He didn't do it with a sword and a javelin and weaponry. He did it with just a sling and a stone, uh, which is, again, counter to um, what should have been. So um, 
Let's see. <clears throat> Let's recap here. So man told David that he was too small, he was too young and not strong enough to go into battle. And man told David he didn't have the right training, the right equipment, and didn't have enough experience to go to battle with the champion. All right? And God says, you don't need those things because that's not how I work. God said, I need faith and obedience. And that's what David brought to the table. And so we see the result uh, of that faith and obedience. All right. Now, the third and final life event that we're going to look at is the story of David and Bathsheba. Okay, And so we're about to string together a bunch of horizontal choices through David, right? And we're going to look at that. Uh, and I'm going to spare some details uh, of this story. But, um, you know, David's out walking around. Now, they're in the middle of war, okay? But David's at home. He's in his palace. And so he decides to go for an afternoon stroll. And he looks out across. You know, everything happened on rooftops back then, right? So he looks across the rooftops, and he sees this lady, Bathsheba. Uh, and he thinks, man, she sure is pretty. And so he sends messengers, all right, to her house to get her. And so these messengers uh, bring her back, all right? Uh, David assaults Bathsheba, and then she goes back home. Sometime later, she sends word to say, hey, buddy, I'm pregnant, okay? And so David kind of has this freak-out moment. And so he calls for Uriah, okay, that's Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, all right? Calls for Uriah and says, hey, you've been, you've been out at war, you've been, you've been doing a good job, so why don't you come home, okay? So now comes the cover-up of the pregnancy, Right, so why don't you come home and just relax a little bit? You've been doing a great job. So Uriah comes home, but he he comes back to the city, but he refuses to go home um, because his men are out at war. And so he comes home. He rests in, uh, I guess, the king's palace or the the area um, that they they would rest in, uh, all the while never going home. And so David, you know, this kind of foils David's plan. So then David goes and says, "Hey." Um, we, we, I need you to put Uriah on the front lines, right? I need you to put him in a position where we know that he's going to die. And so that's what happens, all right? Um, so again, a terrible string of horizontal choices made by David, all to satisfy some carnal desire uh, and then cover up the shame and embarrassment of his original choice. And so while we can't identify necessarily, uh, hopefully nobody can identify with David's choices uh, specifically, we can all identify with this process of stringing these bad choices together, right? Um, and so if we continue to read the story, uh, David is rebuked uh, by the prophet Nathan. Uh, Nathan comes up with this nice little story, which just angers David, and then basically says, well, that's you, buddy. You're the one in the story. Um, and so we see where, where David has this moment of repentance, okay? So God is a just God, and so God punishes David for his actions, okay? But unlike Saul, where Saul was unrepentant of his actions you know, and lost his kingship, God rejects him. David was repentant, so God continues to allow his kingship, um, but he puts some conditions on it. Much like Adam and Eve when they sinned in the garden, he said, hey, you know, you're going to be cast out of the garden. You know, I'm, I'm not going to reject you. I'm not going to do anything, but you're, now you're going to have some problems, right? Because there is consequences for these bad strings of uh, bad string of choices okay so part of that is that child that Bathsheba was pregnant with um, you know they they lost that child okay um, so second Samuel 12 14 says this it says nevertheless because of this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord and the child who was born to you shall die and so that's what happens okay now some of you might be wondering say why bring up this part of David's story um, you know, why bring up this David and Bathsheba? And the reason I did, uh, because in my mind and from my perspective, this story actually offers hope, okay? 
Now, in my, in, in my opening statements, I stated that one of the things God does in the New Testament is show that His ways are not our ways, is that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. All right? Now, Jesus is still a part of the Trinity, still part of the triune God. He set aside His deity in order to become a man, to come to this earth, to live as incarnate human, okay? And, but Jesus was tempted in the same way that we're tempted, all right? He's tempted by Satan um, the same way that we're tempted, all right? Uh, but Jesus refused to sin, never did, right? And so Jesus was falsely accused. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was put to death on the cross, and he did that because of me and because of you, all right? And Jesus didn't do this under any force, but because he wanted to, okay? And because he loves us. You know, everybody knows John 3.16, but perhaps my favorite scripture in the Bible is John 3.17. And so it's the follow-up that says, Jesus didn't come to this earth to condemn the earth, but to save the earth, right? Or Jesus didn't come to this world to condemn us, but to save us, all right? And so, um, but we all know prophecy says that Jesus, or excuse me, yeah, that Jesus uh, would come from the lineage of David, okay? That was a prophecy. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Um, But one thing that most of us, I don't think, realize is that that lineage of Jesus actually came through David and Bathsheba, Right? And so if we read the scripture, Matthew 1, 5 through 6 says, and I'm going to say Salmon because I don't think it was Salmon, but Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and this is Rahab the prostitute, okay, that, that hid the spies way back in the day, okay? So Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, and David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Okay, so Bathsheba's not mentioned, but we know um, that it is Bathsheba there, okay? Now, it's common for kings back in that day to have multiple wives and concubines, all right? And the Bible actually lists seven different wives uh, that David had with 19 sons. Now, I think it's interesting that God could have chosen any one of those, all right, to carry on the lineage of Jesus, but he chose Bathsheba, okay? And I honestly don't know why. This is, this is truly one of those things where God's ways are not our ways. Why would he choose, you know, that, that story, all right, but the fact is that he did, okay? And so what matters is whether you identify with David, all right, and you're somebody that has made a, a string of bad choices, okay, or whether you identify with Bathsheba and you're caught up as a result of somebody who's made bad choices, okay? You know, you're just minding your business, carrying out your normal routine, and all of a sudden you get caught up because somebody decides to enact evil upon you, okay? So whether you identify with David or Bathsheba, we can have hope knowing that God and creator of the universe loves us so much that he sent son, his son Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins, all right? So Jesus used that situation to usher in the Messiah, okay? So Jesus has paid the penalty of our bad choices and knows that we continue to make bad choices. And we can have hope knowing that God is rich in grace and mercy and is faithful to forgive us. Now, please, please, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here, all right? This is not an open invitation to go out and act like David acted, okay? It's not an invitation to make those bad choices, right? Because that is counter to what Scripture says. But all I'm saying is that we're guilty of making these choices, and God is faithful time and time and again to forgive us, okay? And I'm going to take, I didn't include this in my Scripture. I'm going to take a little side note here. I I, I saw on social media the other day, I follow a couple of pastors um, on, on TikTok, and this one guy said, yeah, he said, have you ever thought about why Satan hates us so much? You know, the Bible says Satan is here to utterly destroy us, right? To kill and destroy. Have you ever thought about that? 
And I'm like, well, no, I haven't really. I just, the Bible says so, right? Well, think about what Satan did. Satan was an angel, all right? And he made one mistake. And that is that he desired to be worshipped like God, right? So God cast him out of heaven forever, right? No do-overs, all right? And then here's us, right? God's created people. We, we make mistakes every day. I know I do, right? And I'm pretty sure that's the same for all of us. I make mistakes every day, but God every day says, it's okay, I forgive you. It's okay, I forgive you. And so Satan hates us because we're forgiven, right? And so he's like, nah, I can't handle this. So he tries to do what he can to pull us down. All right, so um, anyway, again, whether you identify with David or Bathsheba, whether you're one of these people that, that continues to make these horizontal choices, if you find yourself doing that, if you're tired of being in that place, why not make a vertical choice today? You know, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, why not make the vertical choice to come to know Him as your personal Savior? All right? If you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, but you still find yourself kind of in this place where you know you're not supposed to be, why not make that vertical choice today to be different and to do different? All right? And so, as I close out today, all right, I want to challenge or I want to offer up. I, we don't do it very often. I know Steve normally comes down, but I actually want to, I want to open up this altar. If anybody has business that they need to do with Jesus today and just wants to pray, I want to open this altar today. Um, I'm going to ask Matthew to come up and, and sing. Um, he's going to do our closing uh, hymn in just a, a few minutes. So, musicians, this is your cue. <laughs> they told me you got to tell me when it's. So, this is your cue. <laughs> um, and so they're going to pray. I'm going to be down front if you need to speak with me uh, about anything that's going on. I'll be, I'll be more than happy to, to pray with you. Uh, but if you have business you want to do, I, I want to open this altar to you. Um, you know, we also did an altar call um, just to pray for the future of our church and pray for the future uh, pastor, whoever's, whoever that's going to be, whoever God's calling. And so if you want to pray for that today, again, I open the altar uh, and invite you to come down uh, and pray.